Hello everybody and welcome to Bite-Sized Chunks of Faith. My name is John O'Pierce and in this podcast I want to share how having a Christian faith has brought hope and meaning and purpose to my life. In this week's episode I get the opportunity to share a conversation with a very inspiring young woman called Melanie Grimsley and in this conversation that we have she shares a little bit about why faith is important to her and she shares also how faith has helped her through times of adversity in her life. She's an extraordinary person and I hope that you enjoy the conversation this week with Melanie Grimsley. So it's a real pleasure this evening to be able to welcome uh, Melanie in person. I know we've spoken a bit over Messenger and and different ways, but uh, Melanie, I I first uh, encountered you in that television program in which Stephen Nolan was searching for faith, and he he spoke with you. And when I kind of watched that, that conversation take place, I was... I was immediately struck, I think, by your gentleness, and I really saw Jesus shining through in in that conversation. But for those who who aren't familiar with your your story, uh, you received very serious injuries in a car fire that claimed your your sister's life back in 1988, when you were just two. And after such a, a devastating tragedy for your family, I suspect that you you must have spent a lot of your your childhood in hospital having treatment and and operations and I wonder if you could share a bit, what was that like for you? It must have been hard. Yeah, um, as as you mentioned, um, it was a lot of my childhood so I was very young and didn't really understand why I was there. Um, So for me, I went into hospital with burns, I came out of hospital with burns so <laughs> didn't think they were doing a very good job. Um, now, obviously, I was simplifying that um, in my, ch- in my ch- child, childlike way, but um, I couldn't see the importance of going. Um, obviously, what they were doing was uh, they were doing skin grafts and uh, reconstruction on my face and my hands. Um, I don't mind you looking at my hands. They're kind of small. Um, I got san- hand sanitizer all over the place when I came in because it's not made for people with tiny hands. Um, <laughs> but uh, my, my fingers um, all had to be created, as it were. My, my hands were all fused together when I, when I first was injured. So um, I used to spring about the place as a three-year-old saying, Mr. Miller's going to make me fingers, as if it was an everyday occurrence, but I suppose for me it was. Um, so they had to make, make my fingers and um, keep my hands then from retracting inwards uh, as scarred tissue doesn't stretch. So they have to then uh, regraft it and things. So it was, um, it was really a, a long, uh, many, many years uh, to, to do that sort of work. And hospital for a child in particular, for anybody, uh, but especially for a child, it's a very frightening place as well. Um, As I say, I didn't really understand the ins and outs of why I was there and the greater good and all of that. So um, I was very frightened a lot of the time as well, just with the lack of understanding. And you know when you go in that it's going to hurt. And, uh, you know, as a child especially, you don't really see understand maybe how long that will take or the fact that you'll get better so there was a lot of a lot of trauma wrapped up in in you know the hospital years as well 
I can imagine, only just imagine, you know, just all, as you describe all that, that you had to go through there, where you went through so much in terms of uh, being frightened and, and in terms of just the, the pain of, of all those surgeries. Um, and when you've gone through so much over, over those years, I wonder who were who the people who sort of stood out and, and helped you and, and gave you the courage to, to keep going, really, over, over those very difficult years? Well, obviously, um, initially, as, as with all uh, very young children, you know, it's my parents were my, my uh, first and, and greatest influence. Um, I remember seeing a newspaper headline uh, from around the time of the accident, it might have been about 12 months later, but, do you know, my parents had said on that, we're not ashamed of her and we're not going to hide her away. And that very much was the attitude of my parents. Um, do you know, it would have been easier to, to not go to play parks and places with other children particularly um, and to not have to answer questions or meet just people's gazes at times. Um, do you know, it was, it was very difficult, but they took that attitude of, no, you know, you're going to keep going out and, you know, if, if other people have a problem then that's their problem. Uh, my dad may say that with a few more colourful words than that, but, <laughs> you know, um, he very much said, Mel, you've got to be you and, and um, don't let other people sort of keep you from pursuing, you know, what you want to do and from going out and being, being with other people. So that, that was my foundation, um, you know, in terms of how to cope and, and how to keep going forward. Uh, you know, I have had many wonderful people in my life. I've been so blessed. Um, even my, my surgeon, Roy Miller, who actually I, I was out, had coffee with Roy today. Uh, Roy um, is, is a Christian man. So, you know, from the moment that, that I was brought up to the Royal, uh, to have somebody like Roy, you know, looking after me and, and praying before he went into surgeries, you know, just to be placed uh, with him. Uh, it's just been such a, a blessing in my life. I've also um, been very, very fortunate to be involved with other um, young people who had burns. So when I was about 13, I went to a camp for children with burns uh, over in England. And um, the people there, just such amazing people, um, Pat Weed, who, who runs the camp, you know, she, she really did change my life with, with how she saw all of us, all of us, um, you know, young people who had burns, and she just nurtured us and our, our camp logo was follow your dreams and that was very much the message that they uh, taught to us as well so even just coming together with other people who could understand my position as well having had an injury themselves uh, was a truly remarkable experience so you know I have been so blessed to to meet the people that I have and to just be encouraged um, that this injury was, was not an end point, it was just a beginning. And I guess w over the years, um, since your, your injuries, people have probably said and done pretty hurtful or, or insensitive things over those years to you. And I'm just wondering, how do you, how do you deal with that? That must be so hard when, when people are, are unkind or unpleasant, yeah. So some of, um, some of people's reactions will be uh, out of just not knowing. Um, so children, um, 
they can be very direct and I love that. Uh, when I was out in India, people were very direct and I just think, yeah, just ask the question, you know, <laughs> let's, let's move past this, let's get on with it. Um, whereas other people obviously um, might look at you or say something inappropriate without actually just saying what it is they're wondering. Um, I remember when I, when I worked with children for a while in the summer after I left school, there was a little girl and I love kids, they're, they're, they're honestly brilliant. And we have been doing under the sea. So you know how in like nursery you put all the pictures on the wall. So we had all these pictures of mermaids on the wall and starfish and, and everything else. And this little girl, and my hair was long, really long and blonde. And um, this, this little girl came up to me and it was really serious. She looked me straight in the face and she said, I know, she said, I, I figured out what's wrong with you. I went, oh, here we go. <laughs> and she said, you're a mermaid. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Never had that one before, but all right. <laughs> so, you know, there can be, there can be humour in it at times. And um, I am a mermaid, but there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> so there can be humour in it at times. And obviously that was her trying to process or something different here. And I don't know what it is. But... <laughs> You know, there are also times, um, particularly with people who are old enough to know better, when, when it can be really difficult, uh, you know, to have, to have people look at me. And I think for a while, you know, I was more oblivious of it. And then when I had children of my own, I became aware of it again because of the effect that it had on them. Um, so sometimes they stick out their tongue and things, and sometimes I tell them off, and sometimes I don't, <laughs> depending on on the appropriateness of that too. But uh, it is about it is about talking to people as well. So you know, if I find an avenue for genuine conversation, I will have one. Um, I think it's good to to educate people so that hopefully the next time they see someone who looks a bit different, um, you know, it will be such a shock for them, and they they may understand that. But to be honest, there are days and it hits harder than others. You know, I can, like everyone in this room, you know, go out, go to go out to the front door in the morning, fix my hair in the mirror and walk out the door and not notice that I'm different. You know, it's just, I, I just don't see it. And then, you know, I walk down the street and somebody says something or somebody looks at me and, you know, then it sort of almost reminds me again <laughs> that, that there's something different there. So it can be hard. Um, you know, and I suppose the best way to explain that is, you know, everybody in this room will have things that they'd rather not think about, and you go about your day, and you're not always thinking about the worst thing that ever happened to you. When somebody says something inappropriate or looks at me in a way that's really unkind, that just brings me right back to that place again. So it can, it can be really difficult, but sometimes, you know, sometimes it can, it can be lighter, and there's a bit of humour, and once. Somebody walked into a lamppost looking at me, and <laughs> that also felt quite good. <laughs> when, I, um, when I watched the interview that, that you did with, with Stephen on, on the programme, I, I could I say it was just something very obvious to me, and, and I, I had never heard your story, uh, but I saw that, that faith had, had obviously played a significant part in, in your life, and... and I'm wondering how, how did that come about or, or who shared or passed on their faith to you that sort of made, made, made it come alive for you? Well, I think it's really important to say, um, you know, at the outset that I was a prayed for child. When this happened, 
we got so many you know, letters and so many people from churches all across Northern Ireland who said that they prayed for my family and prayed for me and my surgeries and things. I met a lady a couple of years back when I was doing my law degree. She was in, in one of my classes that I was taking up in Belfast campus and she actually said to me a couple of weeks after we'd first met and she said to me, she had tears in her eyes and she said, Melanie, my church prayed for you when you first got injured. And she said, I never thought I'd be sitting here having coffee with you in this, you know, in this situation and just watching everything that, you know, you've, you've been able to do and, and, you know, who you've become. And that was a really humbling moment for me because I realized the impact that, that praying for me had had on her and her whole church. So, you know, when you're surrounded by that sort of prayer and that sort of love, you know, within our, our lovely wee country that can be such a small little place sometimes that people are connected like that, which is wonderful. You know, when you're surrounded by that, it's not a surprise that, that I have had such an influence of faith in my life when, when that's been going on around me as a child. But, you know, my parents, again, were, were my first um, influence for faith. They, they both have a faith uh, of, of their own. The Psalm 71, um, you know, I remember my father reading that to me, Psalm 71, verse 1, you know, in thee, O Lord, I put my trust. And, and I remember him reading that to me one night before we, we went uh, up to the hospital the next day. So it has always been there in my life, the, you know, the knowledge of, of there being, there being a, a God that, that loves me and a God that cares for me. And it hasn't always been, you know, it hasn't always been easy. I might be stepping on to another question here, but, um, you know, in terms of faith, there, there came a few points in my life when I did question it. And again, I think it's really important to say that because, you know, I don't want anybody in this, in this church to think, oh, she kept her faith, you know, intact all the way through everything. I didn't. And... Do you know, I don't think God's surprised when we when we have a, a shake or two. Uh, you know, that the, the Psalms themselves, it's it's full of, you know, David saying, Where are you, God? The, the waters have come over my neck, my eyes are dry from crying. That's Psalm 69. That used to be my favourite psalm, because for a long time I was there and it made sense to me. And and I love that the Bible has kept those bits in. <laughs> they're, they're there too, as well as as well as all the, you know, the rejoicing and, and we can do that as well. But there, there are those times when we can identify on the pages of the Bible, hang on, that's where I am today. And so for me, finding that in, in the Psalms was a great comfort. But when I really uh, lost my faith, um, you know, to the point of not wanting to actually go to church anymore, I was 14 and I had went for a hair transplant surgery over in England. And it was the first surgery, so I told you right, I told you I never wanted to do any of the surgeries and I didn't see the point. Well, this one was the first surgery I ever wanted. Um, I, my, my hair is not real. Maybe I should, I should start with that, shouldn't I? Because people sometimes look at me really confused. <laughs> I lost my hair in the accident. So, um, so for me growing up, I, I really, really wanted to have my hair. It was one thing that I kind of had to hide and I was really, really self-conscious of. I suppose, you know, my face and my hands, I can't do anything about, but having no hair, I could hide. And then you get into that cycle of you're trapped hiding it because you don't want anybody to see it. So at 14, I'm scanning the room now because I do say things about being bald. And then I did this once in a talk. I, I said about how, like, for me, only old men were bald. And I looked down and there was someone with a real shiny head. <laughs> <laughs> 
night to see, like, if I'm going to offend some man down the back. In fairness, it was a women's meeting, and the only reason he was there is because he had set out the chairs. So I wasn't expecting him to be there, but I felt really bad then, because I said about um, bald heads and, and older men, and he wasn't that old. But for me, at 14, having no hair was, you know, it's just something you associated with your granda and not being a young woman, and, and so I hated it. And I went to the surgery and really had high expectations. Um, you know, I don't know if any of you are contemplating hair transplant surgery, but apparently there's really good deals in Turkey, and we in Rini and all sorts have been, so, you know. But for me, it, uh, personally, long story short, it didn't work. And I suppose the, the most obvious reason for that is because my scalp is burned, so you're trying to transplant hair into scar tissue, and it, it just didn't work. But what, what happened was I was left with a square here on my head where it had no skin because this obviously hadn't grown, so then there was like a patch that needed another skin graft. And I was in my GCSE year in school, so I thought, I don't have time to be, you know, going in for another skin graft here. So I prayed to God... You know, bear in mind I was 14. I prayed to God, creator of the whole universe and all, you know, I want a wee piece of skin for my head, you know, for this size, not even the size of a postcard. And for me, I thought, this could, this is no problem. You know, God, God made everything. And I'm not going to be greedy, and I'm not going to ask for the hair. We're not on a Rapunzel miracle here. I just want a wee bit of skin, you know. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And it didn't happen, you know, the... the the head didn't heal and I had to go for a skin graft, which is not a, not a nice procedure. And I just thought, you know what? I've never really asked for anything too big and I was really disappointed, you know, really, really disappointed that God just couldn't give me that, you know. Felt hard done by. Um, hadn't complained about any of the rest of it when he wanted a bit of skin. So that really hurt. And it was really, really difficult to, to get my head around why that couldn't have happened. And for, for a long time, you know, I, I just didn't want to hear about God anymore. And it used to make me so angry, you know, people saying, oh, but God loves you. And I said, no, no, don't say it. Um, don't, don't even want to talk about it. And how that started to come back round on itself then um, was one day I was waiting to to go home from school and I have to explain this when I when I'm in Belfast I'm from Fermanagh so you know when you're down in the sticks what happens is you all get on a bus at school and the bus brings you to the bus depot and then you wait for your bus out to the middle of nowhere whichever part of the middle of nowhere you have to live in so <laughs> I was there waiting for the bus to Kesh and this man came up to me and he said God loves you and I thought oh no no, 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 he's going to start preaching. And I, it's so rude, but teenagers are rude, it's all right. I, <laughs> I turned to walk away, I was just like, oh no, and I tried to turn and not make eye contact. Don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. And I tried to, to turn away and he says, no, he says, no, God still loves you. And he said, I'm not preaching to anybody here today. I'm not handing out anything. I was sitting over there and I just felt God wanted me to come and tell you that, that he still loves you. And it blew me away. It absolutely blew me away because this poor man, dear love him, <laughs> had to come and tell me, grumpy me, you know, that God still loved me. And I think about that often and I just pray, you know, now that 
I hope I'm not in tune with God. That if he ever needs somebody to go across a bus station or a train station or an airport to give somebody a message, you know, even if that person gives him response that I give him, I hope I can be that in tune with God that, you know, I could be used like that someday because what, what he did for me, well, you never really know what he did for me, Willie, but what he did for me that day was he started to, to soften my heart. You know, that was the beginning of the thaw, you know, of the ice that I had put around my heart. And I am so thankful for his faith in coming to tell me that. Do you know, and, and it was an instant and it wasn't overnight, but that started, that started the softening again of my heart. And I started to be able to see God in my situation. So, you know, instead of thinking, well, this car fire is some sort of evidence that God doesn't love me because, you know, how else could it happen? I began to say that the car fire and the fact that I am still here is evidence that God does love me. Because my biggest question used to be, you know, where was God when our car was on fire? And now I can tell you that where was God when our car was on fire? God was right beside me. And it may not look how I wanted it to look, you know, God being beside me would have looked like, you know, me not getting injured in my head. But God can be beside you through something as well. And I started to see that more and more in my life. And I started to see the blessings um, that, that I have. And I talked about earlier about, you know, the people that have been in my life, the encouragement you know, the support and the love and just all the blessings that God has poured into this situation, you know, bad as it is, to turn it back around. And, you know, that's where the, the Psalm 71, you know, though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life once more. That restoration, you know, that I have seen, that rebuilding from the ground up, literally from the ashes upwards, you know, that is God and that is God's love. And it's, it's all over um, you know, it's all over this story and it's, it's all over my life. So because of that man, I was able to soften my heart enough to widen my gaze and, and see it. That's incredible just to, to sort of describe it in that way and, and the, the influence, you know, that somebody can have just by, by sharing that word that they had received with you and, and the way that, that, that it, like you say, it began to, this thaw in your heart. I think that's a amazing way to describe it um, I'm just going to sort of draw to a close in the next minute or two but one of the things that, that really struck me um, when you took part in the programme um, when you took part in the programme I guess, I guess when, I, when I watched the programme as a whole I thought this is just going to be a kind of a, a hatchet job or, or whatever and I could see um, and, and I maybe do Stephen a disservice but I could see he was so engaged in, 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 in the conversation, um, just as we all are, as we're listening to you now. And I'm just wondering for you, what was it like for you to actually take part in that program? And, and, and I guess, you know, he's a man that comes with a big reputation. He tackles politicians and, and all sorts of people. And uh, he loves to argue and, and whatever. And you're stood up in front of him and, and you've got to talk to him about God. Um, what was that like? Do you know, when I first got asked to do uh, the programme, my initial, my initial reaction was, I thought it might be 
that they were going to try and disprove it or something. Do you know, as you say, that argumentative type of streak. And I wasn't quite sure what their angle uh, was. So I was cautious about doing it. Now, I, I have uh, worked with Stephen before. I was on the, their, his live show back in oh, 2013, I think. So I had met him once before and you know, found him to be really great to work with. So I sort of had a bit of confidence from that. But as you say, this topic is a completely different uh, angle for him. And I wasn't sure what way it would go. Uh, Stephen didn't give me any questions beforehand, so it, it was like literally what you saw on the program was my instant reaction uh, to, to you know to what he was going to ask. Now I knew he'd be, I knew he wouldn't hold back, so I was sort of in my head ready to ready for it to go anywhere really. But the thing about it is, you know, you never know when you're filming something how much of the questioner they keep in. So sometimes. You know, someone will ask you questions, but when they show the final edit, they've edited the questions out and it's just you talking. I wasn't sure if that was what they were going to do or if they were going to keep Stephen in. I mean, he was remarkably brave in, in how he asked the questions and how honest they were and the fact that they remained in the program so everybody got to see his questioning. But it was genuine. It was a, it, it was a genuine, genuine questions, genuine reactions and I think because of that I think that's what you know that's what's picked up on in the program is that that genuine back and forward of questions and reactions and answers and you know he sort of looks and thinks that's not making sense what do you mean you know and so you're 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 really uh, getting that real real conversation and he does have a lot of questions and and he really is um you know, asking those from, from a real place in, inside of him. So it's not a staged piece. And I think that's what made it so remarkable, also so scary <laughs> to do. Um, but it, it's what made it so remarkable. And and that uh, that moment at the very end of that programme, you know, being there with him and, you know, speaking so openly to each other, it really was a, a remarkable programme to be involved in. And, and I admire his courage in, in putting himself forward to do it? I felt the same, you know, I felt he was very, he made himself very vulnerable to do it, um, just as, as you did to sort of have the conversation and, and it was a very moving and very powerful and I remember just watching it and immediately wanting to reach out and say thank you to you for, for it because it was, it was incredible. Um, just, I suppose, to, to draw to a close, can you tell everybody what, what do you do now and, and what are your, your hopes for the future? Um, so I am a mum. I have two boys. They are 11 and 13. I always have to think at this time of year because their birthdays are coming up in December and January, so they're almost 12 and 14. So, uh, and they're particular about their age. They, they always include the halves and the three quarters, so better say they're nearly 12 and 14. Um, I am doing a Master's in Access to Justice because uh, I love law and um, really enjoying that, doing that in the University of Ulster. And I work in Low Presbyterian Church in Finnegan. Brilliant. So are my hopes for the future? I don't know. I'm kind of open, you know, wherever the wind takes me at this stage. Um, you know, I, I'm really enjoying my studying and, you know, just enjoying, just enjoying life and, and the boys and, and everything really. So... 
I, I don't know what's next, uh, but I'll let you know when I know. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds great. Um, I, I was just going to, to pray, if that was okay for you. Um, but before I do that, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming and to be with us. And it's been a real honour and a real privilege for us to hear your story. So thank you so much. I'm just going to pray for you. Lord, we do thank you for, uh, for Melanie and we thank you for just being part of her life. We thank you for those who, who've influenced her and we thank you for the way she influences others. We pray that you'd pour out your spirit upon her. We pray for her family and we just ask for your continued presence and love to surround them as they, they walk through this life. So be with them, bless them, and encourage them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. And if you were kind enough to hit follow or subscribe, or even leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. Join me again next week for another bite-sized chunk of faith.